I want to talk to you today about resurrection relationships because whether or not you realize it, the relationships that we have post-Christ ought to be different in view of the fact that you and I one day will be raised. That's it. That's all I want to tell you today. That the way we treat each other, the way we love each other, the way we don't treat each other, and the way we don't love each other is reflective of the fact that we believe in a risen Christ. A Christ who, in his resurrected body, has promised those who place their faith in him a resurrection like unto his own. That's our life. That's our hope. We're all struggling with things day in and day out that challenge us. Amen? But we must face those challenges in view of the fact that this corruptible body will be raised incorruptible at the sound of the trump. So in view of the fact that we have some wonderful things to anticipate as Christians, we're looking at John chapter 11 today. In particular, I want us to look at it in view of the fact that our Lord's resurrection impacts our relationships. Can I have a pen? Alex, can you get my phone? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alex. Thank you, brother. There. What would you do if you knew the potential of a relationship before it began? What would you do if you knew what it could be or couldn't be? Would you start the relationship? Would you not start the relationship? Would you go headlong both feet first? Or would you shy away from the idea? Would it depend maybe on the problems or the weight of those problems? Some of you are codependent. You like problems. The hardships that we will inevitably face in this life can't be the one excuse that we use to steer away from meaningful relationships, especially not meaningful Christian relationships. Friends, you will love and have your heart broken. You will trust and have that trust exploited. You will turn your back in faith and confidence only to have it stabbed. You will invest in people only to see your investment used as a tool against you. Listen, life can be messy. Amen? Because life is full of people. And people are messy. Say, I'm messy. You and I, we're messy. When we come into a relationship with someone, we bring a box full of broken things. That's the reality of relationships between fallen people in a fallen world. So we can and we should work at our relationships, but no relationship is perfect because no person is perfect. And with that imperfection, we sometimes find little more than a reason to not have relationships. But that decision leads us to little more than loss after loss 
after loss. You see, life is still worth living, and love is still worth having. Amen? Regardless of what pain or difficulty or betrayal might be associated with those relationships that you and I sometimes enjoy, sometimes don't enjoy. Case in point, Jesus and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The next two weeks, we're going to be looking at a peculiar relationship. A relationship that reveals to us not only the intimacy that exists between people of faith, but the hurt that exists in the relationship, not because the people are imperfect, but because of the world in which they live. That is imperfect. And sometimes the health of your marriage, the health of your relationship with your children, the health of the relationship with your friends, the health with your coworker or your employer isn't determined upon whether or not you are healthy. Say amen if you're listening. It's dependent upon who is against you in the moment. Is the devil against you in the moment? Is that indwelling sin against you in the moment? Is the sin that we've been learning about on Wednesday nights that's a direct result of Adam having sinned and fallen against you in the moment? There are some decisions that you can make that can be right that still lead you down a very difficult path relationally. I know you know what I'm talking about. I know some of you have laid, laid yourself out for the good of a relationship only to see that sacrifice overlooked, neglected, or ignored altogether. I want to talk to you today about something that I see uniquely in John chapter 11, and that is resurrection relationships. Two simple points that I have for you this morning. The first is the anticipation, the second of which is the arrival. So if you look again with your eyes at God's word that Stephen has already read for us in verses 1 through 16, we're going to look at the anticipation. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed Jesus, excuse me, the Lord, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So we have some siblings here, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They live in Bethany. Mary was the one that anointed the feet of Jesus. Verse 3, so the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you what? Wow. I know how you feel about my brother. He whom you love is ill. I know how you feel about my brother, Lord. He's sick. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of whom? It is for the glory of God. Purpose clause in the Greek, hina. So that, this is happening so that, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's look first and foremost at the anticipation. To start, we have Lazarus, Mary, and Martha introduced to us. John says that they're in Bethany. That's a small village outside of Jerusalem, about southeast, just a few miles. We're going to get a small reminder of that in verse 6. Uh, sorry, 18 of John chapter 11. 
He also says that Mary is the one who anointed the Lord, our Lord Jesus, with the ointment and washed his feet with her hair. This is what we would call a proleptic reference. A proleptic reference is important in this case. Remember, the gospel is written chronologically. In other words, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, etc., so while there's a chance that people have already heard the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which would explain John's reference here, we're about to read this reference in its event in John chapter 12. So in other words, there's a reference here that we call proleptic, which means it's made mention of with the assumption that people know about it, before its actual occurrence chronologically. If you turn over to John chapter 12, your Bible may have a title like mine. It says, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. So this quick reference that Jesus is, or excuse me, that John is making about Jesus is what we would call a proleptic reference. He's assuming that people are aware of this event, even though chronologically he hasn't gotten to it yet. The point of this chapter, though, is tied not to Mary and not to Martha. The point of this chapter, John chapter 11, is rather tied to the brother, Lazarus. In particular, the fact that Lazarus is ill. Evidently, he's even ill to the point of death. But Jesus announces in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. Jesus continues, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 4 gives us yet another look at what I would call God's providence and God's plan and God's purpose. His guiding and steering all things for his glory and for the good of his people behind the scenes. That's what we mean when we refer to God's providence and God's plan and purpose. We see what's happening in a superficial way. What we don't see is what God is doing behind the scenes. Sometimes that's hard to understand, amen? Sometimes it's hard to know what God is up to, what his timing might be. I know that if you're anything like me, there has been more than one occasion in your life when you have said, God, where are you in this thing? Which is not to say you're a faithless person, by the way. I know that in the Psalms, the psalmist sometimes says, God, show me a token of your favor. I don't think he's saying, I doubt who you are and where you are, God. I think he's saying, I don't doubt you, and I want to see you. Faithless people don't ask God where he is, amen? People who have faith but sometimes fail to see ask God to help them see. Listen, don't feel bad if you can't see God all the time and all the circumstances of your life. Christians have a sort of guilt and shame about not knowing where God is, but you needn't have that. What you need to have is faith enough to say, God, where are you in this thing? I know you and I believe you. Help me where I'm struggling. That's what faith says. 
In this particular case, in verse 4, I think what we're learning by the word of Jesus is that the illness and the subsequent death of Lazarus is not accidental. It's not happenstance. This is, and I'm quoting Jesus here, part of God's plan. You may recall John chapter 9, verse 3. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. In that particular instance, his disciples say, Lord, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? Jesus answers and says, chapter 9, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents that he was born blind. Listen to me. But that the word of God might be displayed or the glory of God might be displayed in him. Did you get that? His blindness wasn't a result of sin. His blindness wasn't the result of some kind of punishment. His blindness was a part of God's plan so that Jesus could heal him in his power and so that seeing the miraculous event that Jesus performed, people would believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing that Jesus is the Christ, they would be saved. You see the steps there? Now, you and I, we don't want difficulty. We don't want challenge. We don't want hard stuff. We just want to coast. But God, in his wisdom, has ordained that it should not be so. Loved ones, don't shun the struggle. Don't shun the difficulty. Don't shun the hardship. We might not know his plan today, but we do know that he will see us through to tomorrow. Nothing could be further from the truth in regards to hardship, meaning that God is absent or doesn't love us. That's not the way it works. That's not the equation. Because God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. God is more concerned with his glory than he is our gratification. He is willing to see us through difficult things, hard things, that he uses for our good because in the end it brings him glory. I know that this is particularly difficult for some of you. Hardships, illnesses, depression. They have a way of making us self-reflective to a fault. Don't we? Or doesn't it? Excuse me. Doesn't it? These things have a way of making us self-reflective to a fault. Let me say that again. It's hard for us to learn lessons that come from the outside when we're obsessing about what's going on inside. Hear me. Take your eyes off of yourself and your problems and put them on God. The problem solver. And when you do, you will begin to see his providence in your life. You will begin to see the purpose for this challenge or this difficulty in your life. Too often we look at it and we say, I must have been a terrible person. I don't know what I did to deserve this. 
etc., etc. Listen, don't think that God's allowing difficulty to come into your life is equal to God's absence in your life. It isn't. On Wednesday, we went through a tremendous chapter, the eighth chapter of Romans. In the eighth chapter of Romans, we read these words. And we know, Paul says, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many things? All things for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Not some things, not good things, but all things are used by God for our good according to his purpose. That's not my theology. That's God's word. That's not my interpretation of some sort of theological perspective. That is the word of God, and may we never have controversy with the word of God. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't know why God has allowed some of the difficulty in our church recently. I don't know why God has allowed some of the difficulties in your lives recently. I don't know why God has allowed some of the hardships that we are going through as a church in our country right now. But I do know it is according to his purpose. And I do know it's according to his plan. And I do know that in the fullness of time, we will reflect and say, ha, I see you now, God. I see what you're doing there. I see what you did. I see that when I was low, I was not alone. And when I was high, it was you lifting me up. It was for your glory and for my good. Forgive my confusion and my faithlessness. Don't look at your hardship or the difficulty or the conflict and say, where is God? Instead, know that God is already there, using all these things for your good and my good and his glory. He won't waste a moment. He won't waste a difficulty. He won't waste a day of depression. He won't waste a cancer. He won't waste an illness. He will use all things for your good and for his glory. So Jesus is leaving Bethany. He's told his disciples, this illness is not going to lead to death. This whole deal is part of God's plan. So that, right? So that God might be glorified in all this. And after some times pass, it says in verse 6, two more days, it says, let us go to Judea. In verse 8, it says, so the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews who are now seeking to stone you, they're there. And Jesus said, listen, there's 12 hours in the day. There's light in the day. While the light is out, you've got to work. I'm just going to give you a very succinct lesson. Some of you have 80 years if you're lucky. For what and for whom will you use those 80 years? What will you do while you have light? Some of us are chasing nonsense. Some of us are in pursuit of absolute nothing. And Jesus is telling you and me, say amen if you're listening. 
Jesus is telling you and me today that if we're strong, we'll get 80, maybe 90 years. And if God gives us that time, at the end of that time, when we reflect on his plan and providence in our life, will we say we worked while the light was shining? Or will we say while the light was shining, we acted like it was dark and we slept? We slept our life away on useless pursuits that added up to making a positive impact for the kingdom and those around us for nothing. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis says, we are like those kids playing in the mud when God has invited us to a vacation and a life on the beaches of France. We think our distractions are beautiful, and they're not. It's like playing in the mud when God has invited us to the most beautiful resort within the kingdom. Let us not be distracted by these things. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let's go. I, I need to wake him up. The disciples said, well, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing, right? Sleep is good. Sleep, the body's resting. And he goes, no, you don't understand let me explain to you what I mean by this. Lazarus is dead, which implies to us that Jesus purposefully waited, right? Lazarus has died, verse 14. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. <laughs> Some of you are having a crisis of faith today. This is a different Jesus than you got introduced to. The Lord wants my best life now. What do you mean by that? The Lord will never lead us to hardship. What do you mean by hardship? For your sake, I'm glad. For your sake, I'm glad that we weren't there. Everybody's suffering. Everybody's mourning. Everybody's grieving. And Jesus is going, yes. <laughs> and some of you are going, why am I a Christian? and still stubbing my toe. Suffering does us some good, church. Because suffering loans us perspective that we don't find in pleasure. But suffering is so much better when you have somebody beside you. Amen? I love what Thomas says. Look at verse, let's see, 16. Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. Come on, let's go. In verse 16, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, he says to the other disciples, he says, well, let us go. If he's going to die, we might as well die too. Say amen if you're listening. You need some people in your life that when you show up, you go, I need to do something about this guy and this thing. I can't tell you and you can't ask questions. Who says, are we taking your car or mine? You need people in your life like that. You need people in your life who say, you don't need to explain stuff to me. I'm your boy. You say, hey, I need you, and I say where you want me. Thomas gets a bad rap because he says, I'll believe, right? We're going to get to this in John. I'll believe when I see the holes, when I touch them, I'll believe that the resurrection. I think he was just being empirical. I don't think he was doubting. I think it was that you saw him, I didn't. When I see him, I'll believe. When we see Thomas here, I don't think we see a doubting Thomas. I think we see Thomas go, hey, if Jesus is going, we're going to go. If he's going to throw down, somebody's going to throw something, I'm ready. Amen. You guys need people like that. You need people like that. 
You need people who are willing to get toasted with you, burnt. When you face the fire, you can't have those people who go, oh yeah, I, got, I left them in that, that house, I gotta go. No, you need people who say, I didn't bring a fire extinguisher, but I'm ready to go. Whatever you're ready to face, I'm willing to face with you. If you don't have people like this in your life, you need to find some. You need to find people to suffer with. Those of us who are melancholy by disposition, we make it poetry, suffering alone. Right? We're living our lives and it's sunny and we go, it's too sunny. <laughs> Woe is me, the brightness of the sun. How many might be suffering, but I am the only one. Write that down, I just made it up. <laughs> you know, if you're a melancholy, what I'm talking about. Phlegmatics have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Sanguines have no idea what I'm talking about right now. They go, I don't get it. They're as balanced and even keel as anything ever could be. Always looking for the bright side or just never getting upset at all. But those of us who have been blessed with a melancholic disposition, you know if the, word, if the wind blows out of the southeast, it's going to be a hard day. I know it. I just need to cry for a minute. Leave me alone. If God has built you like me, take advice from me. Find someone to suffer with you. Find someone who's willing to go, well, if you're going to go, I'll die too. Let's go too. We all have those friends, man. They're always ready to go to a party. They're always ready to go to a get-together. They're always ready, whatever. But they're not always willing to sit with you when you suffer. They're not always willing to stay up late and just hear what's going on in your life as a friend. Give you advice if you seek it. But if you're not seeking it and you just need to vent, to be present. Sometimes presence is the greatest form of friendship. Listen, find you a Thomas. Find you someone who's willing to say, are you serious? Are you serious going through this right now? Yes, I'm serious going through this. All right, I'll sit with you. That's the anticipation. The second point is the arrival. All this has built up to this episode, verses 17 and following. Let's read it real quickly as a church. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb. How many days? Four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers, which is what we do. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know 
that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe it? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Our second point and final point this morning is the arrival. Verses 17 to 27, after John has set the table for us theologically, helping us to understand all that God is doing in this event, even before the event has transpired, that's the anticipation. We reach verse 5 and following, Jesus and the disciples go to Bethany. When they do, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days, it says, suggesting that Lazarus died rather soon after Jesus was requested. But Jesus was waiting on the Father's timing to go to Bethany. A couple of things that I want you to note here. You can write these down. First, Jesus always shows up. Jesus always shows up. What a promise. What a promise that Jesus shows up. What a reality that Jesus always shows up, even though, as the disciples said, his life was in jeopardy for doing so. People he loved needed him. And he is not intimidated by some difficulty because he is motivated by love. And people he loved needed him. He was willing to go through the difficulty. Why wouldn't he? Very soon in the Gospel of John, we're going to learn that he was willing to go through more than a difficulty. He was willing to go through a crucifixion. Jesus always shows up. People he loved needed him. They asked for him. So he was there because Jesus shows up. Let me just pause here and ask you a question. Are you showing up? Are you showing up, church? Whatever that might mean to you right now, are you showing up? Being the man or woman that God has called you to be, are you showing up? Being the husband or the wife that God's called you to be biblically, are you showing up? Being the young person honoring your father and your mother, are you showing up? Or are you finding the potential conflict along the way a reason enough not to show up? Are you using things like this pandemic as an excuse to not show up? Are you using this nonsense, the government, the church, the church, the government, forget the government for a minute. There's going to come a time when the United States of America will not exist and you will answer not to the president but to Jesus Christ the King. Some of y'all need to get your priorities straight. Online too. You need to hear a word from the Lord and it is this. You will not answer to Trump or Biden or whoever else. You will answer to me, Jesus says. And whether you are convictionally oriented to be here and worship or to never miss an online service and worship, you better worship. Amen. 
You better show up and not allow the strict guidelines that have been implemented, even pressed in some cases upon our heads, to press you away from your faith. Faith comes first. Faith comes first. If you aren't there, you better get there quick. You think our church is looking a little thinner than it used to be, you better get ready for the future. God is pruning his church, and he's using pagans to do it. You better look to the right and left, and you better say, are you putting your faith first? Are you putting your faith first? Because if you're not putting your faith first, you're up for a rude awakening. You better get a Thomas or somebody. Because there's coming a time in the church, our church, First Baptist Church of Cutler Ridge, which I praise God for. We're healthy. We're strong. Not as healthy as we were. Not as strong as we were. But we are not anemic. We are not weak. And we are not flailing. I know some churches, they shut doors, man. They can't do it. We fight day in and day out here, both the school and this church, to work the gospel into the lives of the people the Lord has entrusted to us. And he has not entrusted you to me so that I could say, don't you think something of me? He has given to me this challenge, and that is this. To keep your convictions in the right place. To make sure your faith is first. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Listen, it's hard, man. I don't know how many times I walked into Publix without a mask. It's hard. I forget. And then, you know, I don't need to tell you who I am. You guys know me. And then I get frustrated. I drag my knuckles. I got a chip on the shoulder. Stupid mask. I don't want to wear this. I want us to be loving, considerate, thoughtful, We can be those things, amen? We can love our neighbors well. And we can love each other well. But church, do not put your faith second. If you aren't showing up, follow an example here by Jesus. In spite of the difficulty, say amen if you're listening. Show up. I'm not going to tell you what that means for you, but you better start showing up. The world needs to know who we are, what we believe, and to whom we give account. Why don't you vote like this or that or the other thing? Man, don't tell me how to vote. Don't tell me how to believe. I don't answer to you, man. I answer to a higher power, and he has called me to show up. Not like you. This is a tragedy. I'm on a soapbox for a second. But do you see what's happening in the church? We got pastors falling left and right. The, the, the church doesn't, doesn't look different anymore. The church looks exactly like the world. The church looks exactly like the world. We have to get our uniqueness back again. We have to get our specialness back again. We got to show up. Secondly, I want you to note this. Jesus always shows up on time. Not only does he show up, but Jesus always shows up on time. Look at verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him. 
and, and, and Mary remained seated in the house, but this is not about Mary, this is about Martha. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Let me translate this for you. Let me put this in the message translation. This is a paraphrase. Where were you? Oh, you're laughing because you asked Jesus this question, didn't you? I know. I've asked him. Don't strike me with lightning, but let me ask you, where were you? Where were you? There's a man in the Old Testament named Job who asked the same question. And when Job said, God, where were you? God says, who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Where were you when I hung Orion and put Pleiades in the galaxy? Where were you, Job? You're small, brother. I don't answer to you. Some of you all need to get small because your God is not big enough. You're big because your God is small. If your theology was where it would need, you'd be humble. But you walk with your chin up and your chest out like you're somebody in the presence of glory of God. You better hit your knees and put your face down. Because when he shows up, he shows up in power and he shows up on time. Martha, she's a little cocky. She's going to demonstrate for you and for me what we have done tongue-in-cheek under our breath more than once, I'm sure. And when Jesus shows up, she goes, oh, good, you're here. Where were you? Where were you? Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. I know. The resurrection on the last day. And he said, Martha, I am the resurrection. Jesus shows up on time. No, our time might not be the same time as Jesus' time. Our time might not be the same time as Jesus' time, but Jesus' time is always the right time. It's never the wrong time because he's always working his Father's will. So when it's the Father's will for Jesus to show up to do a work, he'll be there because Jesus is always faithful to the Father. You can question when God might do something, but don't bother questioning if he can. He can and he will. And when he does, it will be according to his plan and it will be according to his time because his time is always right. That's hard for us to get, man. When I get an idea, those of you who know me, working behind the scenes, unfolding things for the church as we project vision about things, when I get an idea, I immediately regret we didn't do it yesterday. It's hard to be patient in God's providence sometimes. But God's time is always right. Finally, when Jesus shows up, Jesus always shows up with a word. Jesus always shows up with a word. Jesus, before he does anything else, he addresses the concerns that Martha has. He doesn't avoid her. I love this. He doesn't excuse her, and he doesn't ignore her. On the contrary, he hears her out and he addresses her feelings, but he doesn't do so without a word from the Lord, as it were. He doesn't say, yeah, it's tough. I, I can see what you're going through. 
We miss this opportunity, beloved, sometimes. We miss it with each other. We miss it with our kids. We miss it with friends. When they're suffering, we say, man, this is really hard. I hope this works out for you. That's not what people need to hear. I don't even know what that means. The reason our faith is distinguished from any other faith that is in the religious world is because our faith is connected to a person. Well, I'm a person of faith. I don't know what that means. I believe Jesus. My faith is connected to someone. When someone is going through something, we have to take that opportunity to connect them to Jesus. That's the word that we've got to share. Jesus shows up with the word. Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, even though you weren't here, I know that if you ask God, he'll do whatever you ask him. Your brother will rise again. Oh, I know at the resurrection last day. What does Jesus say? Well, you have a pretty good understanding. It'll work out. No, he gives her the gospel, which is what? I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. When we, are, when we are Thomas for someone, or someone is Thomas for us, what we need to hear is not, it'll be okay, it'll work out. Time, heals. Time has never healed anything, by the way. Time has never done a thing. It just goes forward. Time is the matrix in which God does his healing, okay? God heals, not time. But when someone is going through something, we need to follow Jesus' example, which is we need to show up with a word. God is with you, man. God will work this out for you. Let's pray together. Can I pray for you? We need to connect people to the living Christ. That's what resurrection relationships are all about. The basis and security for their relationship. Mary, Martha, Lazarus with Jesus, the basis and security of their relationship is the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life of every Christian. This changes relationships between people because we will live together for eternity. If you believe in Christ, you and I will live together for eternity in Christ's presence. This is why verse 27 is so important. Look at it. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. Everything starts with that simple faith. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God.